Hi there. Um, I'll get straight into it, actually. One of the best things about being a teacher is that you don't always you don't always hear the insults that people throw at you because they happen in classrooms and corridors where you're not present. But there is one insult in my 15 years teaching English that I not only heard, but I saw it written on an exercise book. It said, Mr. Bwachi is a waste man. Now, I don't know how much you know about Jamaican Patois, but waste man is not a good thing to be called, right? It's it. I've got a definition, hold on. It says here, a stupid person or someone who is behaving in a stupid way. He turned out to be a complete waste man. You had your chance and you blew it, you waste man. That's taken from a website. Um, the person that called me a waste man was one of my students, obviously. His name, um, I call him Malachi in the book. It's not his real name. And we butted heads. You know, I was frustrated to cut to the chase. It was it was all me. It usually is in a teacher student relationship. It was my frustrations. He he was struggling to get on with the subject. He was quite heavily dyslexic, actually, undiagnosed. And that meant that English lessons were hard work for him. It was doubly frustrating for him because he's probably one of the best writers I've ever met. Um, and I'm not just saying that for dramatic purposes. He had a voice. He had a way of expressing himself. He could do different genres. He just couldn't put pen to paper. And so, as we all have, he had a winning strategy to get through Mr. Boachie's English lessons. And that was to be naughty. It's one of the most, you know, successful winning strategies of all time and play up. So we butted heads. And then I went too far. I said something stupid, like, it's, it, it's much better when you're not here. And then he storms out and then written on his exercise book, minutes later is Mr. Boachie is a waste man. And it got me thinking. Every, every story needs an inciting incident. I spend a lot of time thinking about this because I'm fascinated by stories. And that in many ways is one of the inciting incidents for that part of my teaching career. Because I started to think, am I a waste man? Like, am I a stupid person behaving in a stupid way? And I, I was, I had to back off. I, I had to be humble and essentially I had to apologize, but there's different ways of apologizing. Teachers don't always say sorry. Adults are really bad at this, I've found. We find it difficult to relinquish the control required to just say, I am sorry, I've done something wrong. But my actions were an apology. I thought about Malachi deeply and I thought about, well, how can I bring him into the center? How can I do something that speaks to him? Because the relationship was not working. I was reading at the time, um, the biggest book I've ever read, um, Look at it, it's ridiculous. It's called The Seven Basic Plots by Christopher Booker, ironically called Basic, look at the size of it. And um, it's all about the different shapes of stories. That's why I know about things like inciting incidents. I'm an English teacher, what do you expect? And I started thinking about how I could bring students into this by way of them bringing their own stories to the theory in this book. And that sparked something off in my head a whole project whereby I invited the students to bring their stories of their choice, their narratives, their lived literary experiences into the classroom. And then they would build out of that um, a curriculum that was bespoke to their interests. It sounds relatively simple, but this is revolutionary because the curriculum is actually very, very narrow and very, very fixed. You know, it's very brittle, it doesn't flex. And I was designing something that had maximum flex. Malachi loved it. He wanted to do a video essay because that was something that he felt more comfortable doing to express his thoughts. 
he bought all sorts of texts in, not just books, but film and music and all those kind of things that I was interested in. We had a lot in common, actually, Malachi and I. Not least of all, we're both black. I'm black African, my heritage. He was black Caribbean. There's a whole conversation there. But we both know what it's like to grow up in the 21st century in the United Kingdom um, with a colour of skin that has been racialized and marginalised. Now, what was interesting there is that that inciting incident was a bit of a revolution for me in my teaching journey. You know, that's what my book is all about. It's actually the story of me. Um, the editor that I worked with, I've only ever got one good piece of advice from two separate editors. It's the same thing. It's tell your story. And in my story, I had to kind of realize that making these connections with my students, bringing lived experiences into the center of the teaching and learning conversation, that is what it's all about. That independent book project based on the seven basic plots led to all of my students bringing all of their own texts in. Some kids wanted to do Harry Potter. Fair enough. One kid wanted to do Scarface. I said, you can't do Scarface. It's not age appropriate. He said, I'm doing Scarface. I said, OK, you're doing Scarface. And he did a whole project about the story of Scarface. It was fascinating. Now, all of this is a preamble, really, to getting to kind of what I wrestled with when I was planning my five by 15. This is planned, by the way. I've got notes and everything. Um, and it was, what is the story that I want to tell? The book itself, I heard what you said. It starts off with the story of my face not being recognized um, by, by one of those school security systems where it takes a picture of your face and then it turns the picture into a security pass and then you're allowed into a school for safeguarding reasons. Um, I tried that. I was at the school and it said face not recognized. And I moved left, I moved right, I moved into light, out of the light, face not recognized. And it's basically because um, these facial recognition systems are mad racist and they don't recognize what we call black skin as normal skin because of the default whiteness of a white supremacist society. It's happened to me three times, actually. I only mentioned it once in the book. So that's actually the beginning of a story about me not being recognized by education. I speak in metaphors. If you don't like metaphors, you're gonna hate this, but if you do like metaphors, welcome to the family. So that metaphor is almost like the beginning of my own journey. But we can go a little bit deeper because when I was crafting this, I thought, well, what is my story? What would, what would the seven basic plots have to say about the story of Jeffrey Boichi in I Heard What You Said? Is it a comedy, you know, from confusion to clarity? Is that the story that we're telling here? Um, Mix-ups of identity, ending in order, starting in order, but getting completely convoluted along the way. Comedies include things like much to do about nothing by William Shakespeare. That's a good comedy. I've taught that a few times. Or, you know, Toy Story. I'm a millennial, so I own DVDs still. Um, Toy Story, that's a comedy where they don't know who each other are. And by the end of it, they fall in love, basically. That's what a comedy is. Um, is it a tragedy? Am I a tragic hero? You know, with my pride and my hubris leading me to a dark fate, victim of my own fatal flaws, you know, like Macbeth or Othello to keep it Shakespeare. Um, like any tragic hero, the best of you is the worst of you. I'm a people pleaser. My aim to please is something which gets me quite far, especially in the realm of teaching, connecting with people. But at the same time, it can be a bit of a stumbling block. Stumbling block. Um, maybe there's a slight arrogance as well to thinking you know things and then presenting these ideas, believing my own insights. You know, it's only when I 
realized that teaching was was my workshop you know and that I was gonna make mistakes that's when I actually started to develop and grow as a teacher when I started to really think about that harder um is it a um a rags to riches story I don't know I started in debt and I still got a mortgage so I don't know if that that works child and chocolate factory that kind of thing in many ways I'm gathering insights you know the story that I started with about me and young and young Malachi that's a story of that's a story of learning that's a story of of being marginalized and gathering insights as a result of that Malachi was marginalized in lots of different ways not only was he a teenager so you know he was marginalized by youth um he was also a black teenager marginalized by ethnicity and background and race he was also as I said dyslexic so there were learning difficulties that he had that that really marginalize you in the education system that doesn't speak to to that um but is it a rags to riches story for me you know have I come out the other end with a chocolate factory and with you know Cinderella's Cinderella's ball behind me maybe not maybe it's a voyage and return story another dvd from my collection i told you i'm a true millennial i'm keeping hold of stuff back to the future the voyage and the return when you go into a place and you return with a new perspective on it that could be something because i left a very very um well let me call it what it is i left a very black world as a child and as i entered increasingly professional spaces it became increasingly white and my return to my black identity is something that kept me grounded in a wider mission. I realized partway through my teaching when I wrote a book called Hold Tight about grime music, about being a black male, about millennials in general. People read it because when you write a book, sometimes people read it. It's mad. And they realized I was black. So a lot of my colleagues were like, oh, wow, you're actually black. So I came out as black in 2016. And that was a that was a return to an identity that I didn't ever speak about professionally, because when I was learning to teach in 2007, race was not brought up at all. Fact. In fact, it was a taboo. And that's one of the themes that when you don't feel something is safe to talk about, you don't talk about it because that's your survival. You know, so maybe it was a voyage and return, a return to my own blackness. It's getting deep now. Maybe it's a quest. This is a quest. Finding Nemo, looking for something, you know, be it a fish or looking for something else, looking for the holy grail of teaching, looking for a solution to a problem, looking um, for a way to span generational gaps, a way to represent students, plural, and all the myriads of lived experiences that you meet when you teach, because that's the best thing about teaching. You meet so many people, you know, it's second only So air traffic controllers, that'll take you back to our last talk. Air traffic controllers have to deal with lots of human interaction in very high stakes scenarios, stressful. Teachers have to do the same thing in schools, equally stressful, but we don't get breaks every 20 minutes. Or is it a rebirth story, a rebirth story like Groundhog Day, one of the best films of all time, a fable where you were reborn. Am I being reborn? The last type of story that it could be, and I think I'm gonna rest on this one, is overcoming the monster. I've not got a DVD for this, but it's like Jaws, you know, or any Bond film where there's a monstrous force that is trying to destroy the world and you have to fight it. I think maybe that is what is going on here in the subtext of these anecdotes that I'm spinning for you. But who or what is the antagonist? Is it the education system in general? Is it the Tories, you know? Um, 
to get political? Is it the political system? Is it Michael Gove specifically? He was the education secretary when I um, was, was training to be a teacher and when I became a teacher. And his vision for education is one that I was fighting against. I could feel myself. I don't think so. I think that in the riverbed of a lot of what I've said today, the real monster that I'm overcoming is white supremacy. It's such a monster that you never even say it. It's like Voldemort in Harry Potter. You don't say the name because something bad's going to happen. I spend my time now visiting schools and businesses and talking about anti-racism and what is generously dubbed um, subconscious bias. I mean, EDI work, the, the euphemisms we use to talk about anti-racism. And what is very rarely said are the words white supremacy. It's the big unnamed monster. It's the bed of social inequity in this country, in the West in general. You know, it's the reason for colonial exploitation, the genocide of colonial capitalist exploitation, empire, and the absolute cruelty that comes with empire, of which I am part. I speak this language so fluently, so arrogantly, one language I speak because I'm of the British Empire. My parents were born in a country called the Gold Coast, named for its most valuable resource. Malachi's forebears came over here on the empire windrush, seeking a new life perhaps, seeking employment opportunities and meeting something less than a warm welcome if you look at generationally. So white supremacy is the thing that I'm trying to fight. It's the thing that I wrestled with in my own work because, you know, Malachi exists in a system, a system where he was nine times more likely to be arrested than, than his peers who are racialized as white. Um, his Asian peers were four times more likely to be arrested, disproportionately likely to be excluded from school. And the, you know, the exclusion to prison pipeline is a real thing. Racially profiled, still happening as we speak. Suella Braveman has issued a report saying something about knife crime and young black males as though the most knife crime doesn't happen in many parts of the country that are not dominated by young black males. The CV lottery where your African surname is statistically less likely to be hired despite the fact that black Africans go to university at higher rates than other ethnic groups, you know, and the fact that, you know, non-white university students are far less likely to end up at the Russell Group universities, despite doing well-ish at their A-levels and their GCSEs. The basic facts of imperialism, white supremacy not being taught. So maybe, maybe I am a waste man. Because there's another definition, another definition. Um, I'll read it to you. It says, a worker who removes waste, such as one who collects and disposes of waste that accumulates during a manufacturing process. Because our society is manufactured. Don't get it twisted. I've lived in education. That's one of the that's one of the engine rooms of the modern West. That's where society is not only um, learned but also grown. Our education system teaches society. That's why it's sh so shackled to the past, and that's why it's so scared of change because it's reiterating truths that have been iterated already. And in that process, that manufacturing process, there is a lot of waste, there's a lot of detritus. And a big part of that is this thing, this white supremacist mindset, this paradigm linked to patriarchy, linked to all sorts of isms and phobias that are stopping us from actually going forward, that are stopping us from progressing. When I write, when I visit schools, when I when I work, I'm trying to keep education free of the waste. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to clear out the garbage. And that process has been illuminating 
for me. It's been edifying for me. And if you really read between the lines, it's being it's been where the success lay, you know, when it's tackled head on and when I can reach out and meet people who are also suffering from the same thing that's been kind of holding that education system back for, well, a number of centuries now. So that's my story. You can choose out of those seven, the one which is most applicable. But for now, let's say that I'm, I'm a waste man who's on a mission. All right, we're done.